Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business. This is Nick Bradley here, and this is the Christmas episode. Well, technically speaking, it is the day after Christmas 2019, so you're probably sitting there thinking, wow, I have drunk too much, eaten too much, you know, my business, I'm not even thinking about my business, so therefore I don't even want to listen to an episode of Nick talking about business, particularly scaling up. That's something that's a new year thing. Yeah, well, let's worry about that in January. Well, I've got a special treat for you today. We are going to be focused not so much on business directly, but we are going to be focused on energy and performance. So for those of you who have been listening for some time, you know that I talk a lot about the importance of managing energy Managing energy in the context of productivity, massively important. If you want to get stuff done at a high level, you've got to be able to manage yourself. And a lot of that's about your health and your fitness. Your mindset comes under that to some extent, but it's definitely about your body and how you treat your body. So I thought as you're sitting there thinking, I've just abused my body with turkey and wine, we will do an episode with a good friend of mine a gentleman by the, name, by the name of Carlisle Jenkins. Now, he is a health and performance coach. Now, by that, he's got a business called Prohab Performance. And I'm going to let him sort of go into the intro when we, when we get into the episode in a minute. But just take on board what he does. He, he helps high-level, really successful business leaders, CEOs of large corporations, really successful entrepreneurs, maximize their energy to maximize their performance. So this episode, we go right into the detail of, you know, you know why things like fasting are important, why sleep's important, how your body responds to different stimulus. Some of the things that, you know, are manifesting in you physically, if you're not, you know, where you want to be, um, come from, from things that you wouldn't even think about. Yeah, some of it's diet, of course it is, but some of it's trauma that your body's gone through in the past. So as much as some people come into Scale Up Your Business thinking we just talk about business. As I always say, we talk about scaling up your business, which in turn scales up your life. So today is very much about that. And I thought as people are sitting there, maybe taking a little bit of time off between Christmas and New Year's, what better way to enjoy that time than to listen to how you can be thinking about your body, your performance, your energy as you come into the new year. So, Without further ado, let me introduce you to Carlisle Jenkins. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Scale Up Your Business. I'm delighted to have with me today Carlisle Jenkins. Now, we are going to be going deep into health, energy, performance around health and energy, all that sort of stuff. So welcome to the show, Carlisle. Great to be here, Nick. Excellent. Now, we have a little bit of a backstory, and I know everyone who listens to this show regularly uh, loves the ranting Australian. Well, we've got another one. <laughs> we met recently. We met recently. And what was funny about it, we went to, um, well, I grew up in Adelaide, as um, a lot of listeners know. 
And there's only a couple of kind of schools there. Well, there's lots of schools, but there's only a couple of schools that anyone ever talks about. And I went to one of those schools and Carlisle went to the other. <laughs> well, I was sitting across the table. I, I was detecting an Aussie accent, but I, I could tell it was a South Australian accent too. And if you're from Australia, you know, there is a really subtle difference there. But I was like, I bet that guy's from Adelaide. I'm just going to have to find out. It's a posh <laughs> accent. It's a posh accent because we, we, were, we were one of the last places to get founded. We're, we're from the non-convict side of Australia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so a little bit of context. And I said, I'll get Carlisle to, I'll get you to introduce yourself properly in a second. But we were chatting away. We were at a, um, a mastermind group, if you like, um, where we were talking about sort of business scale up and, and how we can start to kind of get more out of our various businesses. And we started chatting. And what Carlisle does, I said, which we'll go through, just really resonated with me on the basis of all of you listening to this to this show over the last few months, we've talked a lot about the importance of personal leadership, your own energy, the, be able to, the ability to get stuff done. And a lot of what Carlisle does is that's that thing, but at a really, really high level. So just to give you a bit of profile, so started out life as a sports chiropractor. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. yeah. And you've worked with Olympians, uh, world champions in skiing and cycling. Um, and now you've sort of evolved that, I suppose, you know, to build a team, build a business, which is around, you know, driving health, resilience, performance, um, but focusing a lot on people in business, you know, particularly leaders in business where they've got crazy schedules, lots going on, and just helping them, um, you know, get the best out of their bodies, out of their health to be able to do more and be more. Is that a good summary? Spot on. We, um, where we are now is a, is a long way from where we started, I guess, 19 years ago when I graduated out of my master's in Sydney, and I, I knew I wanted to go and, and have some adventures around the world and see if I could plug my professional skills into some of the things I loved. And one of the things I loved is skiing, and that's kind of inherited from my father. And I was very keen to see if I could do a ski season in the Alps as part of my, my first bit of travel and got very fortunate to pick up a job in, in Val d'Isere where I was helping skiers with the alignment of their foot in the boot and their body to the ski. It's a brilliant job. I worked from 4 p.m. till about 9 every night and then one day Saturday and got to ski during the day. And that really fired up my, my love of, of skiing but also how I could use my skills, which admittedly at that stage were, were just out of school. I was probably, you know, safe. I wasn't going to hurt anyone, but I wasn't really able to <laughs> help as many people as I like. And uh, over the next three or four years, I, I grew my, my training out and my experience, but still stayed connected to skiing and was helping young skiers that were up and coming. And, and one skier in particular, I, I got a really good connection with, with this kid called James Woods, who was 14 at the time. And I met him at the back of uh, the London, London Ski Show held every October here and he was one of the athletes performing on the, the jump there and we kind of hit it off and this kid was was obviously really talented but really young and over the next well, I guess it's now a 18 odd years we've we stayed together uh, Woodsy's grown in terms of his his ability to perform he started competing in Europe across the US his discipline is that slope style where they they go over the jumps and rails and they they get scored for how smooth and easy it is when it's actually quite complex and hard it's really complex to me <laughs> brutal sport you know they break their spine they concuss themselves it's it's tough and 
James, to his credit, has really put a shift in in developing himself and is currently 2019 world champion. He has uh, two Olympic finals under his belt. He's a genuine leader in, in the sport. And it was through working with James that I, I expanded my understanding of what it means to, to operate at a high level in terms of performance. So my skill set when I left the degree was was very much around the physical body, helping him get over injuries and helping him prepare himself physically. But at that level, you've got to look at everything. You look at the nutrition and how that supports him, the recovery. And then as he got into that competition space, it was very much about how he handled pressure and how he set himself up to perform when he had to. Uh, so I had to go out and learn all that and, and build a, a toolkit and framework that, that supported, supported James. It wasn't long after I had kids that I realised that Travelling around the world with skiers is not a good idea. So I, I, I said to myself, <laughs> could I take that framework and in London help people that were busy but really interested in growing the impact that they have in their business or in their profession and was just kind of struggling with, with managing all the, the plates that they were trying to spin. Specifically, their, their health was kind of perhaps not helping them. So they might have had some physical pain they couldn't get their head around or some digestive issues they weren't able to sort out. But essentially it played out in the fact that they just weren't resilient. They weren't able to stay in the game and play at that level as much as they wanted to. And they were looking for solutions to that. And that's, I guess, how we started our journey in London with that. I've got heaps of heaps of questions around this, so I'm going to try and keep it relatively focused because I could have gone off on lots of tangents there. But um, just the last thing you said sort of resonates in terms of the point of resilience and what what is it? You know, you've obviously been doing this piece for now. You've seen it with said elite sports people. Now you've seen it with kind of elite business people. What are the things that cause that breakdown? Cause that lack of resilience? You know, top two or three things. I think the number one thing is, and this is a societal issue, is that we tend to ignore the physical body as being part of um, the resilience piece. So a lot of the clients I work with, they're knowledge workers. They're, they're, they're very good at solving problems and creating value around the problems they solve. So they can not only solve the problems, but they've got the interpersonal skill bit too where they can pull a team together, they can create a vision and a purpose, and, and they're using their thinking brain. There's actually five brains that we need to sort of think about when it comes to energy, health, and and resilience. So underneath the thinking brain is our feeling brain. And underneath that feeling brain is the doing brain, which runs all the functions in the body. And there's two other brains that are often ignored. And the first one's the gut. That's really influential. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, the fifth brain, the microbes, that microbiome, that soup of bacteria, viruses and parasites that live in us and on us and around us. And it it literally is the interaction of all five brains that determine our daily energy in the 24 hours that we're working in, but also long-term our resilience and our ability to grow our impact in the face of more challenge. Wow. Okay, let's go a bit deeper into that. So so you call them brains, but obviously they're they're, they're literally what they are. They're like nerve sensors that just affect different parts of how we feel, how we act, how we show up, that sort of thing, really. Exactly. I mean, we are one brain. If you, if you took our head off and pulled the brain out, nerves running right through the body would come out with that. So everything is being sensed all the time, always, and that information has to be processed and sorted. And the brain essentially has to very quickly sort the information into one of two camps. 
it's either scary information, this is going to potentially hurt or threaten me, or it's safe information, this is going to help, it can help me grow. And this is happening all the time. We're awake, we're asleep. When we're working on our own, we're working with people, this sensing is happening. And we get, luckily, to inherit 66 generations of, of how that brain developed really good skills at sensing things that were scary and things that were safe. But we're faced wow. with more, more information than ever before, aren't we? Well, it's overwhelm. I mean, you know, we'll talk about that in, in, in some detail in a second because I think there is a shift which we all see and I certainly see it just in terms of the amount of information, the amount of messaging that you're getting these days. So the ability to process, as you said, stuff that's either beneficial for you in terms of growth or something that's a threat, um, particularly back to that sort of reptilian brain concept, which people talk about. I think, you know, it's, it's become more stressful than ever. I think that, you know, just to make a point on that, the thing that kind of concerns me the most is I, I sponsor the improvements, if you want to call them that, around childhood and teenage suicide because I see a massive growth in that area. And part of that's because, you know, people are just getting different information they never had before through social media and they're comparing themselves to people in a way that they never used to. And half the time that's not real. So if you just think about the overwhelm that must have on your psychology, and that's just purely on the basis of, you know, technology enhancements. But, but what you're saying here is all of this stuff is building up, building up, building up inside a person. Let's say it's someone who's got a high, high stressful job, business job, and what it causes a breakdown you start to see that obviously a breakdown in performance do you start to see some more dare i say it horrific things in, in your line of work what we tend to say we, we think of an easy way to think of it is like we've all got this bucket that we think of as carrying all the things that we do in life so you've got all the work stuff in the bucket all the family stuff in the bucket you've got your personal fitness your nutrition you've got all the interaction like as this bucket starts filling up with stuff that we we have to process and handle as it gets near the top and it's nearly full the overflow is something that you will feel the body the brain will go hey we're kind of at capacity here something needs to change i either need to get some stuff out of this bucket or we need to grow the size of it and so how that manifests in some people is pain uh, some people it's mental mental health stuff some people they've got digestive issues that they can't get their head around some people it's just physical tension and stiffness some people step back from their goal their mission because it's too overwhelming it can manifest in lots of different ways and so what i think cool. the, cha the challenge is like what are the inputs going into that bucket that maybe don't need to be there and secondly how can we help that person grow the size of the bucket so it can? Well, that's, that's the thing that jumps out to me. Like as you were talking, is what determines the size of the bucket? I, either where you are now or what it can be, the potential. Great question, and and I think this this is why I love this this space. Um, everyone's unique, you know. Everyone's got their own genetic code they inherited from their parents, and no one has that code. But equally, everyone's got their own life journey, their own little illnesses as a kid, their own exposure to taking antibiotics or medicine, their own accidents or bumps to the head or concussions, their own successes, their own failures. Like everyone's story when I meet them is totally unique. And it's kind of like a billion-piece jigsaw puzzle. And at most, our current system for, for managing this gives people like random middle bits to that jigsaw. So we're, we're trying to say... It is unique. Can we help you find the corners and edges of that, have some clarity around that, 
and help people start to fill in that so they know exactly what to do when it comes to changing what's going into the bucket, but also how to grow the size of it. Wow. Okay, this is cool. So a couple of things just um, back to the, the people who listen to this crazy podcast. <laughs> the questions I get asked are around productivity, a lot about productivity. So if I'm clear on my, my, my business vision, my personal vision, I'm clear on my goals, I'm clear on my outcomes, how do I get more productive? How do I get more stuff done, but at the same time do that without getting, you know, to use your words, get to the point where the bucket's getting so full that it's going to take me back? Big question, I know, but what are, what are your thoughts on that? So a lot of the, the, the data that we're looking at is um, chunking your time to focus on specific tasks seems to be much easier for the brain to handle. If we're trying to sit down and just do one big slog of work that involves one dynamic of information, so that might mean someone's constantly at a, at a computer screen and there's visual data they're trying to constantly process, that's scary after a certain point for the brain. It's like it needs change or it needs people switching from one to the other. That might mean that you know, people schedule times when they look at their emails and then don't look at it again. They schedule times when they're actually interacting with people, and, that, and I mean physical contact as well as digitally, and structuring a workflow that works for them. There's no one perfect workflow for everyone, and people need to experiment, not just in their day, but seasonally and, and what happens at different times of the year. The other thing that we see as one of the biggest helps is, and this is a great time of year, if, if it's early in the year, scheduling those breaks, those holidays in the diary 12 months ahead. So you have stops built into the, the year. And, and I, I, the way I, what works for me and our family is we have this kind of three-month thing where every three months there is a week, five days. We're out of our physical environment. We're doing something different. It doesn't have to be crazy. It could be camping. It can be down the beach. It, but we just stop and reset and reconnect with the basics and I think that really helps to not get into that stage where that bucket's just kind of getting up getting up getting up getting up getting up and suddenly we're in this scenario where ah, I'm feeling something <laughs> but <laughs> looking in the diary there's nothing ahead to get some space so how does that feel for you I mean just to share a bit of your own personal story so if you let you know you know we, before we started recording you said obviously your business is, has been growing substantially and I can see why because this this is a hot topic in every every way that we're touching on it today but when you personally start to feel that your bucket's getting full what does that feel like for you so I, um, when, you, when you graduate from, from our course, you don't get any business skills. So you really don't know what you're doing when you first get out in the world there. You, you're making it up as you go along. So things like that mastermind we met at have been fantastic for helping me get some, some structure around how we do what we do. But when I first started this, I mean, I, I set my own business up while I was working in another and I was moving from one place to the other during lunchtime. And, and I remember one day moving house and I did a shift in the morning. I went and picked up a truck and moved house and came back to the office and did a shift in the evening. And I remember getting home that night about 11.30. And I was due to get up at 4 the next morning and thinking, wow, this is, this is amazing. I'm just like absolutely flying. And then back in my mind, I could just hear myself say, this can't be right that you can do that. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, I had a physical thing pop up. I, I, I was skiing, doing something I love and, and blew my back out and, and uh, you know, had a physical manifestation of the body being just literally at the limit of what it could do. And so that was me 
having a mini crisis, I guess it was, in the yep. physical body. The other thing that happens to me when I'm in overwhelm, the bucket's full, is I just dip out. I, I, I'm not connecting with people. I'm there, but I'm not there. Like I, I'm going through the motions and I'm not really listening. I'm not really with that person. And I'm very fortunate to do what I do. I, I get to work with people when they're at a, a vulnerable time, like something's not working for them in their body and they've got no clue what it is. It's pretty scary for them because they've often tried some of the basics to fix it and it hasn't shifted. So our team owes it to, to all our clients for us to be 100% present and with them when we're with them because they're kind of handing this really important thing to us and saying, can you help me? So if I can't be present, that's, it's really, really bad for my clients. It's not good for helping them solve this. And that's helped me really identify the things I need to do to, to make sure that I am with them. I get it. I get it. And, you know, um, the other thing around that is if you, so I joke about it sometimes, I say, you know, if you go to a fat personal trainer, and this is, this is a really polarizing statement, right? <laughs> I get this, right? You kind of, you know, if, you're, if your goal is to get a six pack and, and the guy or the lady who's training you is not in great shape, you kind of, there's a disconnect, right? Same if you go to a financial um, wealth manager or stockbroker and they're, you know, they, they can't afford their lifestyle, you're not really going to get the best advice. So I suppose if you're advising people on peak physical performance, whatever that is for them, you kind of have to be that yourself. Otherwise, it doesn't really work. Yeah. And a great example of that was when I blew my back out. I, I, I trained as a chiropractor and I blew my disc out. So, you know, everyone's like, ah. Really? <laughs> but I looked, at it, I looked at it as an opportunity to go, okay, let's apply what I know. So I know that I was running in the red for a while and clearly I've got something that I haven't fully addressed. If I apply what I know to the recovery of this, because most people will be out of action for a year with that. And I mean, I, mean, I had the steering pain right down the leg, the muscle weakness, the reflex gone, like it was full on. And I just went, the advice is move, keep moving. And I had a whole lot of ski trips booked for that post that, that accident and I had a 1,600-kilometre charity cycle ride from London to Monaco 12 weeks later. Wow. Okay. And, I, and I was like, well, if I was living what I'm doing, I would be doing all those ski trips and I would be doing that, that cycle and that would be a, a sign that I've learned what I've learned <laughs> and applied it. And so I did went and went through that and it wasn't easy, but I got through and finished that cycle right at the end. And I got to tell you, my back was eight times better than when I started, like 80 times. It was incredible. I still had some nerve stuff going on, but the more I used my body in a safe way and the more I asked myself to do all the basics, I recovered out of that. I was at a um, kind of health retreat thing, if you want to call that, in um, in the summer in Tenerife. And one of the principles of that um, few days I was away there was um, the body The body tries to find a way to heal itself. You know, there's a piece where if you think about things like when people get, you know, horrific diseases like cancer and particularly things like lymphatic cancer, there's a piece where, you know, in some cases the blockages that, that you see physically in people's bodies where that where that's you know happening to them is where there is a way that the body's not being able to cleanse itself effectively. And there were some really interesting examples of people, and I know this doesn't happen for everybody, but there's some interesting examples of people who had very late stage cancer healing themselves by just changing some principles in their body, essentially allowing allowing the body to heal itself, um, as opposed to clogging it up with lots of chemicals and lots of um, other things. 
So it's a more holistic way of looking at it. How, how, what's your view on that side of stuff? I mean, do you, obviously, if you mentioned that, you know, what you did helped you. When you look at someone who's like really chronically stressed, they might be taking medication for it, for example. How do you deal with that? Do you come in and say, listen, the first thing you know to do is, is actually stop that and try something else? Or, or do you have a process around that? So at the start of our, our engagement with, with someone, we've got a bit of a mantra, test, don't guess. Um, we'd like to know exactly what the biggest threatening inputs are for that person at that moment there. And the things we look at are, you know, how they're moving, uh, the nutrition piece, what they're putting in their, in their mouth, how much recovery they get in a 24-hour cycle because we are, um, inher- have inherited the 66,000 generations of interacting with the physical planet. And it, it's hard to think like this in the modern day, but every 24-hour cycle we have a rhythm for what the body is designing itself around energy. So if you think of a, one of our ancestors 5,000 years ago, they would wake up and when the sun's up, they've got to have energy to either find food or shelter or try not to be the food. Like there's, there's kind of a pretty serious <laughs> yeah, ba- basic it. daily challenge they've got, right? And that Run requires dinosaurs, got it. <laughs> that requires energy to be spent. So the body's kind of in an energy output mode. And, and essentially that's our sympathetic system. It's always on when the sun's up. Conversely, sun going down, the body should be putting energy back into that. It should be recharging. And, and that essentially is our parasympathetic system having more influence and the body putting energy back in. Now, you can't hijack 66,000 generations of that. That's how we're wired. So if you look at a 24-hour cycle, there's a spending energy piece, there's a putting energy back in. We'll measure that for our clients. How effective are they, are they doing that? Can the system switch from one to the other? Are we getting enough of that happening at that key moment at, in the nighttime? Once that data comes back, we can literally say to that person, these foods have to stop going in. That behavior in this time before you go to sleep, you might want to look at changing that because it's affecting the quality of your recovery. And that alone takes a lot of the stuff out of the bucket that doesn't need to be there, but also helps them grow the size of that. Okay. And, and to go on and answer that question that you started with, you know, what can you do at a cellular level to help the body heal faster? There's some fascinating research by uh, a professor called Walter Longo. Um, and he's, he's a longevity researcher and his last name is Longo, which Got is it. just great. I mean, the people who do my show notes are going to have fun like researching these <laughs> names. <laughs> keep going, keep going. So Longo is famous for showing um, at a cellular level, yeast cells, so single cells, at a multi-cell mammal level, mice, and then at a human level, that you can trigger three key healing aspects of, of life through nutrition. And specifically, he's looking at calorie restriction, taking food away from the cell, the mouse, or the, or the person and doing it in quite a prescriptive way to try and trigger the, the three things. And the three things he's trying to trigger is, is the, the individual, the cell or the mammal using fat instead of sugar for fuel. Mm-hmm. And so we call that being fat adapted. And fat adapted is winning on multiple levels. So if you look at cancer, sugar feeds cancer cells and helps them grow. If the body is fat adapted, if that environment is 
the substrate for energy is fat, they can't grow. The second thing he's trying to help the body achieve is autophagy. And for listeners, that's essentially like a process where body cleans house. It does this automatic kind of mopping up of broken, damaged, dangerous cells. And the simple way to think of this is imagine a, an old school steam train, maybe going from London to Manchester. The guys in the steam room have to feed a fire with coal to keep the fire going, to crank up that water, to get the steam for the train to move along. Let's say they get three quarters of the way to Manchester and they run out of coal. There's no fuel for that fire. So the guys are like, what are we going to do? They end up going into the carriages in the back of the train and getting all the broken luggage wraps, the broken chairs, all the wooden stuff that isn't being used and start using that for fuel and clean all the broken stuff in the carriage. They make, they make the journey. The body works in a similar way. If you take away some of its fuel, it'll start going, right, where's some stuff we could use instead of that? So broken ligament tissue, broken cells in the stomach, broken neural tissue, it'll start reclaiming that and using that. And it's a really important part of healing chronic disease. And you can show that it exists in the yeast, in the mice, in, in us as humans, and it exists across the whole body. In fact, 2016, there's a Nobel Prize for the Japanese researcher who showed that this autophagy process exists in all living organisms, plant, animal, you name it. The third thing that Longo is trying to achieve is stimulate stem cells to upregulate. So these are the, the cells that all of our cells originate from. They're constantly pumping out new cells. You can increase how fast they do that, how effectively they do that across the body through nutrition as well. So... He was showing three benefits of restricting some calories. Now, there's quite. Let's talk about that, can we? I mean, because when you say restricting calories, are we, are we talking about things like fasting? Um, you know, in, introducing that into your routine. That's one of the ways that you can, I suppose, facilitate these points. Exactly. So, fasting is essentially taking stuff away that we'd normally have there. And the classic intermittent fasting is, is perhaps not eating for 16 hours and then eating everything in an eight hour window so that's one element offered the second piece is within the eight hour window what you're eating in that window and the calorie profile of what you're eating in that window so literally how many calories and the breakdown of the macros the, the protein the carbs and, and the fat there and is that different for different people? I mean, obviously, the calories potentially are. I can imagine if someone's bigger, smaller, older, younger. But in terms of the quality of what you're eating in that eight-hour window, is there a pattern to that that you recommend that tends to work more often than not? There's no one diet that works for everyone. So we try and personalize it to each individual. And a lot of the, the labs and data we get helps us do that and be quite precise. But as a general rule, it's got to be food that you've prepared fresh that day whole food so if you're if you're eating food that has somehow been in some mechanized machine process and ends up in a supermarket the bioavailability of the nutrients is lower so you're not going to get the full benefit of it so that's number one thing we recommend people do is you're actually eating whole food the second thing is it doesn't have to be permanent literally five days of this and you can see the benefits at a cellular level kicking on for up to 90 days wow that's unbelievable so you like it's like a real like just get really focused and intense like what i did when i was away in tenerife which was like a three-day juice fast was what i did but the benefits of that afterwards were considerable it was a difficult three days <laughs> but 
but I could feel my energy levels after that three days were substantially higher than how I felt going into that. Absolutely. You see a, a very quick shift from days one to two from the body burning sugar to burning fat. The autophagy stuff kicks in by sort of Wednesday, day three. And then the last two days is when you see the stem cell upregulation happening, according to the research. Awesome. And essentially, the calorie restriction is essentially on day one, they're probably eating just under half of what they'd normally eat. And then days two to five, they're eating about a third of what they'd normally eat. Got it. Okay. So, and that's, and that's really just kind of kickstarting different functions, different mechanisms in your body. I, I get it. Wow. I mean, I don't, in terms of, because I've got lots of different questions around this, but I want to kind of go into just some examples. Obviously, you can't talk about specific people, but when, when a, let's say, a, a chief exec comes to see you, it could be a, a founder of a business, could be running a large business. And, you know, obviously, as you said, everything's about data, it's about, you know, seeing where they're at. What are some of the transformation stories you've seen? You know, so as again, don't go into too, too much detail if you can't, but I'm just curious about the sort of before and after of this. So I was thinking about this before, before we uh, got together and I thought a good way to do it would be walk you through someone who is a real client who I've anonymized their name and, sure. and changed the story a bit. But this kind of gives a good example of how this sort of all fits together, what we've been talking about so far. So the, the gentleman's name is Michael. He's 44. And he's got a 10-year-old kid. He's an exec. He lives in London. His business, the work he does, involves significant travel, both to Europe and to the US and Asia. So quite, quite big halls that cross many time zones. And that happens pretty much every, every six weeks. He's been doing it 15 years, so five years at this level. And he's arrived in my office with back pain. And I do a bit of digging around in terms of his story. And he used to play pretty high-level sport when he was younger, um, but he blew a disc out five years prior to being in my office. And when I say blew a disc out, he had the full sequestration, which means that the gel inside the disc came out and just completely sprayed all his nerves. Like it's the worst kind of that you can do. So he had surgery for that, and they went and cleaned it up and, that's five years previous. He did all the rehab. And, and I, when I see him move, he actually moves really well. There's no, like, mechanical restriction in that area anymore. Yet he's still got this, like, he calls it like an 8 out of 10 nerve pain right down his back, down to the little toe of his left foot. He's tried everything, been everywhere. Because of the travel, every time he sits and travels, he's getting out of that train or plane chair and just, like, hobbling and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And part of our intake is we ask all our clients to fill in an online assessment before they arrive in our office. So, so we also knew that he had some digestive stuff that he hasn't really been able to solve, some skin rash that he hasn't been able to solve. But the thing he's worried about the most is mentally he's not quite as clear as he used to be. Decision-making is starting to kind of change a bit and, and he's getting a bit grumpy. <laughs> So the bucket's full, right? The sure, bucket's full. I'm sure this person isn't me because I mean, this, <laughs> this, this was me 10 years ago, mate. Honestly, I, I did a back injury. I didn't have an operation, but there was a point where I'd actually I'd, I'd torn my hamstring and done a few other bits and pieces and had to have surgery on that. But I couldn't travel. I couldn't sit in the car for two hours without getting heaps of pain down one side of my body. So even though this isn't me, everyone, so don't worry, this is not some sort of fabricated story that Carl and I have made up. 
I, I think you're probably talking about quite a lot of guys, particularly ones who have had sort of, you know, sporting yeah. careers and then moved into the business world. Yeah, and, and credit to this, this, this guy, Michael. He's like, you know, I'm not chalking this up to age. Like 44 is too young to have this kind of happen. And, and he's looking at his, his son and he's like, I plan to be around and physically active and engaging in the things we love and tennis and whatnot for many more years. Like, can you help me? And, and so we went through our, our um, second stage, kind of pulling the data together. And part of that involves a physical assessment. As we went through his body, I'm like, what's, what's this scar on your toe? And he's like, oh, I had an ingrown toenail removed when I was 18. And that's really uncomfortable if anyone's ever had that. Like Woodsy, the skier I worked with, he had to have that. It's one of the most awful things to have. And then he had another scar on his little finger, which he'd fractured so that he had a, a surgeon put a pin in his little finger. And I'm like, maybe that's, maybe that's been scary for the brain, maybe not. We did a bit of, um, bit of input into there. Uh, and his toe scar where the ingrown toenail was, when we put light pressure on that and a little bit of vibration, he could touch his toes again. And he hasn't been able to touch his toes for like 12 months. You're kidding me. No, how, was, how does how does that work? <laughs> great question, and I'm always blown away when this happens. But remember, I said earlier in the podcast, the brain's always sensing the environment. Yes. So, yes. skin is really, really influential. And in that, you've got light pressure, you've got deep pressure, you've got hot, you've got cold, you've got compression, you've got stretch, you've got vibration. These are all different kinds of information that it's picking up. Uh, whenever we have an injury, and especially like a surgery surgery where there's like cut in tissue or a puncture even though you may be asleep under a general anesthetic or things completely numb the brain knows it's been like literally threatened by that and it's sometimes changed the map that it has of that area of the body so instead of the map being like a perfect 4k 3d knows where everything is that map might suddenly be degraded to like 1950s black and white telly so every time we go to try and use that the brain's like i haven't quite got all the information here i'm a little little scared so it sends out this protection message so sometimes when you put very specific input into that area it helps that map suddenly go a bit more detailed a bit more colorful wow. that threat goes down and the same for his finger we got on that scar which was the scar looked fine there's nothing wrong with it we get a little bit of deep pressure on that finger, he gets even more range of motion. So we're starting to build a bit of a picture of what the brain had found a bit scary and what we could do to bring that into safe with his physical movement. The second thing we found was his labs, we, um, we look at, at food, specifically we look at like the big things, which is gluten, wheat, and then 180 foods that are cooked and uncooked. And just from his gluten profile, um, and there are lots of proteins and enzymes within the gluten that, that we could be reacting to. We test the, the most common 24 of them. He had one came back for transglutaminase 6. So that means that his immune system, whenever it saw gluten and specifically the enzyme transglutaminase 6, his immune system went, that is scary. And when that happens, that specific one gets expressed in neural tissue and peripheral nerves. So the nerves that he's feeling down his back, I'm like, potentially when you eat gluten, your immune system reacts to that and that is increasing the sensitivity 
of that nerve. And he's looking at me and going, really? I'm like, okay, let's maybe do a two-week trial where you don't have any gluten and here's what you have to look out for and here's some alternatives and that. let's just see what happens. He goes away, two-week trial, comes back. He said, within three days, it had gone from like an eight out of 10 to like a four. And then by the end of the 10 days, um, I was down to like a three out of 10 pain. And we did no other intervention except remove the gluten. Do you yourself, I'm sorry, jumping your story, do you eat gluten? I'm a bit sensitive to it. So I, I can eat it maybe once. Do you recommend this? Oh, the reason I bring that up now is my, my wife was suffering from a um, condition called labyrinthitis. And she had a bit of testing done, just local testing with the doctor. And she stopped. Basically, gluten was an issue for her. And she stopped having it. I mean, labyrinthitis, for people who don't know, is literally a disease a condition where, you know, you, you literally can't get out of bed because everything's like vertigo. And Terrible. it's crazy, really yeah. full on, really, really and debilitates you for days. And she stopped having gluten in her diet and it's, it's fixed it. Well, certainly for now, touch wood. So I'm just curious, in, in gluten in general, do you see more issues with gluten than, than you see not when you're testing people? Yeah, if people have known, known issues with the digestive system, skin, bloating, they can't get their head around, hormones all over the place, it comes up quite a bit. Not everyone, but it comes yeah. up quite a bit. And the interesting thing is there's, there's 24 different proteins and enzymes within the gluten wheat kernel that you could be reacting to. So this is not celiac for our listeners, just to confirm. This is non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So people that are, are not genuine celiacs but have this kind of immune reaction to gluten. And we are seeing it being more prevalent. Some of the thinking as to why that might be is um, um, the GMO gluten does have a lot of glyphosate on it. They use glyphosate or Roundup to spray a lot of these. So oh, that, like literally the pesticide stuff. Okay, I know. Wow. So you're literally, you're being sort of poisoned, you could argue, within, within what you're eating. So there's a big argument going at the moment with, with how this sort of works. But essentially in your gut, you've got cells bonded together by these, these things called tight junctions. And essentially, there's some research to show that glyphosate disrupts that. So if we're eating wheat and gluten, it lands in the gut. There's residues of not just glyphosate but other pesticides. That potentially is weakening those junctions. And then bigger food molecules, bigger protein molecules get into the bloodstream when maybe they need more digestion. And the immune system's like, what the hell is that? And reacts to it. Well, I've taken you off topic with Michael. Still Sorry, but I'm just curious. <laughs> that it's not exactly. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's really interesting when you take people off it, the stuff that clears up. So things they no, have. I mean, that's a great example. I mean, the, 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 certainly the number scoring you were saying regarding Michael in terms of he's an 8 out of 10, you, you intervene on a couple of things. I'm sure there's a lot more depth that you go into and, and, and a lot more things that pop up. But but that's amazing. I mean, that's life-changing from going from an eight to say a three within the space of a week, just by changing it, modifying a few things in a diet. I mean, what was, if we jump forward a bit with him specifically, get the word up, how did that change his, his impact in business and how he felt about himself and his energy? So we, um, our number one goal was to obviously get him out of pain. And it's for all our clients that arrive in discomfort. That's the first thing we're trying to achieve with it. Then we're trying to help them grow strong so that that doesn't happen again. And long-term, they have the tools to kind of stay operating at a high level for as long as they want. They're living longer. So once all the data came back, we, we sat down with Michael and we designed 
a 90-day intervention where we were going to try and help the body heal at a really deep level, a lot of these things that have been hanging around for a while. And the, and the main focus of that was getting that movement stuff sorted out. So he had some drills that were very specific to his nervous system, what it wanted to feel safe again, and they were gradually progressed as he got better and better. Because the brain's interesting. It, it loves novelty and new things. So you've got to constantly just keep gently challenging it with some more complexity that's safe but helping build those maps back up. And that's quite unique for each individual. He had a plan developed for him over that 90 days for that. The second thing we did was suggest that the nutrition bit and the gut health bit was a big part of this because the other things that came up in his gluten profile was gluteomorphine, but he also was reacting to dairy and specifically casomorphine in, in milk, which is both these proteins, central nervous system is where they manifest. So we were thinking that the brain fog and the not having the mental clarity, that potentially was, was what was happening there. So healing the gut, getting the, the sensitivity of that down was a big part of it. But he travels a lot, right? So he's like all over the place in terms of having control over what goes in his mouth and he's at restaurants and he's at hotels and, and there's no time, there's no space. He didn't really have the knowledge to kind of implement this. So we, we built a program where he was, he was literally in London five days a month for three months. And so we had this fast mimic diet built for him specifically with all the foods that we knew he reacted to pulled out. We had our private chef put together a plan, food that he liked and enjoyed. So they did some consultation around foods that he loved eating. And we made sure that his PA organized for these five-day periods each month that you know, he wasn't having meetings that were critical for him to be out and eating in restaurants and whatnot. So we controlled everything that went into his mouth for those five days. We had these meals cooked and prepared that day, delivered to his office. That's the only control we had over his nutrition over that period. And then we just asked him while he was traveling to try and stick to the 16-8 idea where he's only eating in an eight-hour window and where possible, stay away from the foods that we identify. Do you suggest on that 16-8 um, intermittent fasting, do you suggest that that becomes something you do daily or is it a few times a week or it depends? Once you're really efficient at burning fat, you can pop off that for the weekend and then you can pop back on for the week and it's still really easy for the body to get back to being fat adapted. It's when we, we dip in and out irregularly that we go back to being a sugar burner and craving those foods that supply that energy. So for me, what works is during the week, I'm 16, eight. on the weekend, I eat with the kids, the family, every meal that they eat. I want to be part of that social part of it and preparing the food with them so I don't get too concerned about it. If I've got something coming up that I want to be right for, I might have a focused three weeks where I'm like, fully 16-8, but, but by and large, if I stick to it just during the week, work week, I find I'm better. I can, I, can, I can stay mentally clear until I eat after lunch at one or two. Some people prefer missing dinner. They'll have breakfast, then lunch, but can get by without having dinner. doesn't matter where you put the eight hours. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I do it too, and, I, and I, I, I do the sort of, you know, skip the breakfast. And I find... As much as it can be challenging, because I'm, I'm, I'm sort of somebody gets hangry, right? So I'm not necessarily the best person at around, let's say, 10, 30, 11 a.m. when there's about an hour left. <laughs> but I think that's partly just towards, you know, I'm so, being so used to doing it. But I do find that um, my energy levels are significantly better if I stick to that sort of program more often than not. I get the idea when you look at the research is also our ancestors didn't have three meals a day, every day, every time 
every season. It was like periods of lots of like, um, we haven't got all the food we need. <laughs> We're going to eat what we can. Then there were periods where they would have lots of food and they would eat lots. So there was, we have this consistent, constant drip of high energy, dense, manufactured food every time. The body's not actually wired for that. That's why they're suggesting we're seeing a lot of these metabolic diseases pop up now. Wow. So the fasting thing is just getting back to what we're designed. Well, yeah. yeah. Can, we, um, can we touch on um, something else, slightly different to where we've been so far on this episode, but meditation, the mental side of things. Do you, do you incorporate that into your plans as well? What's your views on that? Absolutely. I mean, it's the one thing across the board that – that seems to be able to show at a high quality level of research can influence people's um, health, their mental health, but also their physical health as well. And I, I think of it as um, a way to get in touch with those other brains, like start feeling the body, start listening to those, those senses, the safe, the scary. And the more we're in touch with it, the more in tune we're with it, the, the easier it is for us to make better decisions. So just stopping and having that focused time, however people do it, whether it's with an app or whether it's walking in the country or whether it's sitting on a bike, exercising. I think movement meditation I find most beneficial for me, out running in nature, not listening to a podcast or anything, but just literally getting from A to B with no time limit. To me, that's like complete reset. I feel my body. I feel my breath. Um, this time of year, I love it, the autumn and, and the leaves, like I'm feeling like the, the environment. I think that's essentially what we miss yeah. out living in these modern cities, these modern lives, is that connection to, to nature. You can get it through, through apps, but I think as much as we can connect with that physical world again, we get, we get a better result with that. But it's critical. I think if meditation is able to show across all this research that it can influence people's mental state, their physical health, their ability to, to stay focused, clear, and calm and have that, that, that bucket grow, then absolutely. However you meditate, whatever works for you, make it part of the routine. Wow. This is a hugely, a hugely powerful conversation, mate. I got to, you know, even though we did go to rival schools back in Adelaide. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, there's a couple, of, I want to be very generous with your time. I want to kind of just, touch on a couple of things before we finish up today and i know this is going to be a really difficult question because we sort of talked about it before we started recording but we've talked about a lot of different areas today we've talked about specifically what you do with your business and and how you help people but for the people listening to this who are they just want to start to incorporate some things they've heard lots of stuff today they're probably a little bit confused if you just see someone generally without having to go into the analysis without having to go into the data and said you know what here's three things Three things that, you know, you should just start to consider. If you're feeling like you haven't got the energy to do what you need to do to, to perform at your best, just start exploring these things. What would those top three things be? Again, you, you can say it's different for different people, but in your most rounded way of looking at it. Okay, number one, I think would fit into to what, what, you, what you do for your listeners really well, which is that, that kind of vision purpose piece. So if we look at aligning what our physical body needs to be able to do so that our purpose and our long-term vision is able to be realized, we, we often see people reacting to like a physical crisis at the time. And when we ask them, okay, so in 10 years when you're doing X, Y, Z, what would 
you be able to do physically with your body that would be a sign that you're aging well, that's supporting you? And, and a lot of people go blank, you know, like they, they haven't thought about that. They've got like this, I've got the health insurance in place if anything goes wrong. Um, but if you don't have a vision, it's very hard then to go, okay, where am I now on that journey and, and what are the, the first steps to kind of making some, some strategic changes to what I'm doing to support me doing that? So that would be number one, like is there a body vision, a physical vision for success that matches this business vision and the impact that you've got that you wish to have through your business? And that alignment I think is really important because the body's not just there to carry the thinking brain around. Like it's literally connected by wires. So it will, <laughs> it'll be there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We know what I, 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 it's the starting point of whenever I start working with someone, I always start with vision and I talk about it a lot. You're right. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I always say you start where you want to be and then you work back and then you know the gap. And the gap can be lots of things. The gap's not always just in your business. I've been saying more recently that as much as this podcast is scale up your business, it's also scale up your life because the business is a vehicle to get you to the life you want to create more than anything else. So that's a good point. Of course, I agree with that one. <laughs> What's number two? I think if your listeners do that, then, then and they just find the, the biggest obstacle they kind of perceive in achieving that and just spend the next kind of two or three months looking at that obstacle and going, what is it about that obstacle? Is it something I don't know knowledge-wise? Is it something I just haven't put enough time and effort into? Is it something that I've tried to do too hard, too fast? It's a bit overwhelming. How could I chunk that down and just chip away at it slowly? And, and that I think would just would slowly, they'd start seeing some wins that really support their business vision as well. Number two, I think if you look at um, the challenges that we have around food just stopping eating food you know this idea of fasting it it petrifies people i call it the hunger games right so how how much can you not eat and still perform people are petrified that they won't be able to think clearly they won't be able to work they won't be able to be the father the wife the brother the sister the husband they just start small so pick one day of the week and go okay i'm not going to eat this breakfast i'm going to go out to to 16 hours before I do eat. And if you finally get through that, great. Maybe the next week you try two days of that back to back. And if you find with that, then maybe the week after you just slowly try three days and slowly build this body going, okay, I haven't got the easy access sugar. I'm going to have to go and get some fat. And, and this process starts to build. And it won't be long before they're, they're quite comfortable doing a five day. 16 eight fast so they just don't eat for 16 hours five days in a row and that is huge that is the body going in and using a resource that it has unlimited supply of yeah most people have got too much of it <laughs> yeah especially <laughs> after you, yeah well christmas but you know we're recording this obviously people you know, come into the podcast at various points we are recording this just before christmas and we might actually release this around christmas week just to give people a bit of a <laughs> Um, and then just on that, just one quick question on the fasting. In the um, 16 hours where you are um, not eating, is it what are you what are you drinking? Is it just lots of water, tea? Do you have any coffee, any of that sort of stuff? Or do you try and just keep it as pure as possible? So you can have coffee. It just can't have any milk in it, either plant-based or dairy, because that will break your fast. But you can have black coffee, water. The herbal teas are fine as well. Great. 
Got it. Okay, that's exactly what I do. So I was actually asking that question for myself more than anything else. <laughs> All right, number three, just to, you know, the third thing. So I love that. So first one's obviously vision, be clear, set your goals, break that down. Second one was obviously about just starting to think about lack of food, intimate fasting. Third one. The thing that's being hijacked the most by modern life and what Netflix describes as its biggest challenge to well-dominated sleep. Uh, good. We haven't touched on sleep. I'm glad you brought that up because I was just thinking we probably should talk about sleep. <laughs> go for it. Sleep. Yeah, so if you look at the, the hard one. The hard uh, one. If you go back to a conversation about this thing we've inherited, it's this 24-hour energy cycle where during the waking hours when the sun's up, the body's spending energy. And I think of that as like the battery being emptied. The nighttime is the opposite. The battery is being recharged. The biggest thing we see that influences people's quality of recharge, the quality of sleep they get, so they are asleep but the body's not doing what it's supposed to be doing, is alcohol in the evening. So one or two glasses is enough to switch the body's focus on getting rid of this toxin and then I'll do the sleep thing. And the second thing is that screen time, that last 90 minutes before bed, whether it's emails for work or watching box sets, it wakes the brain up. The visual blue light wakes it up, but also the content of what they're doing keeps it going in the background and it interferes with those sleep cycles. So they may be in bed eight hours, but maybe the only 30, 40% of that eight hours is really good quality recovery and, and recharge. And the, the impact of that is if you don't have that recharge, you wake up the next day with, say, a third of the battery recharged, you make these hormones that literally make you go and buy carbohydrates. So you have, you, oh have this, you have this one hormone <laughs> called, called ghrelin, and when the ghrelin reaches a certain level, it's like your brain's going, right, we don't have the energy we should have, we need to get it now. So you walk past a bakery or something that's got easy access and you just cannot resist, and willpower will not help you get through this. So the biggest help you could do is getting that proper sleep going to make that fasting that much easier as well and just doing that consistently that's awesome and and just to, again on that because the thing about the the screen time is interesting because i think a lot of people they might stop working start looking at their phones and a lot of people i speak to say oh yeah i put the phone away but i you know i watch you know exactly as you said a box set and then they go to bed but they get fixated more on the amount of time that they're in bed as opposed to what they do the last 90 minutes. So they'll say, oh, I need seven hours, I need eight hours. So I go to bed at whatever it is, 10 and get up at six. But what you're suggesting actually is, you know, if you stopped, you know, 90 minutes to two hours of screen time, the, the length of time of sleep may be less prevalent because you're actually sabotaging it anyway. Yeah. So six hours, yeah. but with a 90 minute break of everything beforehand might be better than doing eight hours, but you, you know, turn the TV off and then you're straight into bed. Absolutely. Seems like the magic number is, is, is seven. Some people fine on seven. Some people need eight. Under seven consistently and under seven with only 75% efficiency, it just starts to chip away at those resources. Yeah. Um, so everyone's probably got some kind of sleep monitoring device or app or, and essentially it's movement data it's looking at and maybe some heart rate variability is happening. But if you look at the deep research, because that's, that's surface data, that's not actually what's happening at the brain level. When you measure the brain waves and how they change over the sleep cycles, those are the things that seem to interrupt the quality the most, the alcohol screen time just beforehand. 
Um, so you can be in bed and asleep and get good numbers on your movement tracking, but the actual sequence of events the brain stages through, you're not getting that completely done. You end up coming into the next day under-resourced. And, you know, we hit our coffee, we get straight into the routine, have a bit of sugar, we're fine. It's just decades of that is not healthy. Wow. This has got to be one of my favourite episodes, mate, honestly. <laughs> honestly, it just scratched the surface. There's so I know, much. I know we have. I know that's the thing because, I mean, we've, we've had a couple of more extended conversations about that. In fact, the first time uh, we met, we went and got some lunch just outside of this mastermind marine, and I was very conscious about what I was choosing and what you were eating. Because <laughs> I think, you know, we just talked about, you know, some of this stuff. But listen, um, you've, I mean, you've given heaps of value to um, the scale of your business listeners today. And, and I'll, when I do the kind of intro before this, I'll kind of, again, talk about why this is important in a podcast that you would think from the outside is just about business. But as I always say, it's not just about that. It's about the person you have to be to be effective in your business and in your life. So thanks for coming on. How can how can people reach you, Carla? What's, the, what's the, your business, um, any social media? Because I'm sure there'll be people with questions after listening to this. They can uh, can find us at prohabperformance.com. And I've got a, actually got a gift for your listeners as well. Awesome. We- we have a, a little resilience test, a tool, a little quiz they can take. It takes about a minute and a half, and it's, it's 30 questions across six categories that they can just answer, and they'll get a report that gives them a number, a percentage for how, how they perceive their health activities, the things they do is supporting them, and it will give them some prioritisation. So, okay, this is probably the area that needs the most attention, with some activities that they can get involved in. And, and those that do complete it, and I'll give you guys a little code, you can have a, a consultation with one of our, our coaches completely for free just to chat about the results and how they might uh, have some support in implementing that. We can walk them through some of the options. Perfect. Now, that's, that's really good. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure there'll be lots of people who take you up on that. So we'll, what we'll do is we'll put that into the show notes as well. So there's a link to that in the code. And... And yeah, so we've had some more extended conversations. And one of the things that I sort of say around, I call it energy, it's more than that, but the, the ability to be able to have that as part of the toolkit, you know, the other parts of skill set around business and then mindset. And now we're talking about your energy levels. These are the three biggest things in my mind that really start to get you to start to perform as you want to in your business. So Carlisle Jenkins, thank you so much for coming on Scale Your Business. It's been an absolute pleasure, sir. Great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. And there you have it. So that is Carlisle Jenkins. And I honestly didn't mean to put something out there which was so definitive around health the day after Christmas. Well, actually, I did. But, you know, you've got to sometimes look at these things when, you know, you're relaxing at home, you've been enjoying yourself. One thing I always say is it's about balance. And as much as there are some great points there that we should all take into account, things like sleep, I talk about meditation, all that sort of thing really does help you having a vision. It's important to have balance. So I certainly hope that you are enjoying some time off over this Christmas and New Year break, wherever you are in the world, enjoying time with your friends and family. And, you know, I just wanted to kind of give you something to think about as you're reflecting and you're going into the new year and you're setting your goals. It's important to think about productivity, performance and energy in relation to your business as much as it is cash flow, profit, sales, marketing and a lot of the other things that we cover on the podcast. So announcement this week. So as I mentioned previously, the Pocket MBA event is fast approaching. It is January 11th and 12th in London. 
If you are interested in coming to that event, um, the tickets are on sale at Eventbrite. So that's eventbrite.co.uk and basically have a look at the, um, I have a search sorry, for the Pocket MBA event, January 11th, 12th in London, which I will be keynote speaking at and talking about a lot of different things, but mainly around how you scale your business by creating customers, not winning them. That's certainly one of the topics. And my good friend and colleague, Jane Bailey, will be talking about the importance of networking and connection. Um, and the entrepreneurial journey and overwhelm. So it'll be uh, very much a workshop format as opposed to just a seminar, lots of interactivity. So if you're free and you're interested in coming along, it'd be great to see you there. And then lastly, my business growth accelerator, my 90-day business growth accelerator, fast approaching as well, starting in January. If you are keen to join that, and I know a lot of you have been reaching out and asking about that, please get in touch and I'll just take you through it, who it's for, what we're trying to achieve, and whether it's a good fit for you. As I've said, whatever you decide to do as you start the new year, um, make it a good, strong intention to surround yourself in the right environment, the right people, the right skill set, the right mindset, so that you can really hit the ground running. I often find that if you have a fantastic quarter, the rest of the year follows suit. So if you're on the fence about any of these things, and as I always say, you don't have to do stuff with me. There's other people that I recommend depending on where you are in your business and what you're trying to achieve, then always get in touch as I am always happy to help. So Merry Christmas, happy holidays wherever you are in the world. Be grateful, be brave, have faith, show up.